1: chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms We're America, your family, a land of liberty We're thankful for your sacrifice, your
2: fight to keep us free. We are America, and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our
1: nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America.
2: It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition, with Gary Ray, along with his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray with his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts.
3: Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is September 24th, 2013, and all of a sudden I got a frog in my throat. throat. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteransCaregiver.com. Good morning, Linda. How are you?
4: Good morning, Gary. I am just fine. Thank you.
3: Good, good. Before we get to our guests, we're just going to take a couple short minutes to provide everyone with a live Veteran Trek update. Today's Veteran Trek update is brought to you by First Class Merchant Services. If you don't have First Class Merchant Services for your business, you're paying too much. Veteran Trek is about two veterans, Anthony and Tom, that are walking a short distance, only 2,700 miles from Milwaukee to L.A. for PTSD and veteran suicide awareness. Good morning, Tom. How are you?
5: Good, good. Thanks for having me.
3: Good, good. Well, it's day 25 since you left Milwaukee. How many miles have you put on so far?
5: Um, We are just hovering under around uh, 300 miles, um, and we made it to uh Cedar Falls yesterday in Iowa and um. we're on our way to Grundy Center right now. We actually um made it about eighteen miles um from Cedar Falls and we got the full Iowa experience of soybean fields and cornfields. <laughs> um <laughs> so uh <laughs> we made it about uh sixteen miles yesterday and we actually uh came upon a church and ran into someone and they actually let us you know sleep outside. Um uh, in their cemetery. So that was an
3: experience. (laughs) Wow. With all that corn. (laughs) What was that?
4: I hope you took pictures.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. I guess you, you guys are eating your veggies enough corn, right? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about, uh, this incident uh, with your GPS in Waterloo? I heard it was um, taking you around in circles or something.
5: Right. Well, the at the, at the trail we were going on kind of runs all through and kind of meanders through the city, so it was, it was, um, we, we had our GPS taking us, you know, all over the place. It was like one of those, uh, Scooby-Doo cartoons where they keep running out of the doors. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was pretty, uh, frustrating. So, um, we ended up uh, just making our way up to Cedar Falls, where um, actually Anthony's uh, friend from Wisconsin came out, and they uh, got us a hotel for the night, so that was nice. And uh, then from there, we just moved out uh, yesterday and got about 18 miles in.
3: Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Any other incidents that you can tell us about?
5: Um, nothing nothing that crazy yet, but um, <laughs> we got a uh, straight shot today right into uh, Grundy Center, Iowa. And from there, we'll just keep continuing uh, west and southwest. Uh, one of the issues that um, we're kind of uh, anticipating right now is kind of having to review um, our, our route from uh, in Colorado, just because of the um, the flooding there. So right. we're not we're not sure if there's you know trails that are washed out or whatever. But I know it's it's a little further west than where we're gonna go, but that doesn't mean it still still doesn't affect you know, a lot of the area that we might be going through, so we're kind of preparing for that.
4: That's wise. I heard it was moving eastward.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's wish Anthony and Tom good luck. Uh, Again, you can give them uh, your support by donating right now from your (coughs) cell, instead of handing them checks and cash. Well, it's it's not safe to do that. (laughs) So just go ahead, get on your cell phone, Uh, and text the word DONATE to 80464. 100% of your donation goes right to dryhooch.org. We'll be providing live updates on their adventures every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Good luck, Tom.
5: Thank you very much.
3: All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest, uh, Linda.
4: I am so pleased to introduce you to Lori today. Lori is the caregiver of a soldier who was assaulted, raped, the uh, victim of military sexual trauma, and her story is one of the entire family, uh, how this experience has affected them, has affected um, how they react to uh, outside stimuli, the progress they've made, and the fact that without a caregiver in a family like Lori, recovery from such an incident is not smooth and not linear, and neither has theirs been, but it has been a progressively better road as she walks. And, Lori, welcome, and thank you for telling this very important story. We are having our continuation of our Suicide Prevention Month, and MST is one of the strong underlying reasons for suicide attempts in the military. Lori, welcome to American Heroes Network. Yes, Thank welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, we appreciate your, uh, your ability and capability for you and your husband to share this story. I think it's very, very important. Maybe you'll start out with uh, how we met and then the story of your journey at the beginning. Okay. Well, when I first um, found Linda, and that's about the only way I can say it, God heard my prayer the the night I found the website for veteran caregivers, and I was kind of at my wit's end, as a lot of us caregivers are. Um, There's not a lot of support, and people just don't really understand the the different set of trials and tribulations that you go through when you have a family member that suffers from PTSD. And I found the website and started talking in a community of people who were just like me. And it was an outstanding form of support and just a great way to explain what I was going through and some of the issues I was having and just have people listen without judgment and be able to give me advice or just listen and share their own stories. So Linda was amazing. Her and I contacted over the phone and have, gosh, been talking for, I think, over three years now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how many people have we contacted on behalf of your family? I I have not kept track of you. I have not, but it's been a, a great, valuable source of Of help. I can tell you that. There's been numerous uh, contacts made on our behalf and been very, very helpful and beneficial in a lot of the uh, long road that we go through trying to obtain benefits and help for uh, my husband and our family. We uh, started out when I first met my husband. He was already out of the military and I was a prior military wife, and so I kind of recognized the behavior. And um, as we came together, I started noticing the nightmares and different things that he was going through, and he finally opened up to me and shared that he had been the victim of a uh, sexual assault by another male soldier and what he went through with that at the time this was in the early 90s and he was out of the country and when it happened he um, was very young and there were very limited resources for anyone in this circumstance they gave him the kind of little bit of counseling and uh, basically said buck up you know this didn't happen don't talk about it you'll be fine He didn't get to go home on leave, you know, which is all he wanted to do just to kind of pull himself together, and he ended up very depressed, and about six months after the incident, he was on suicide watch, and then three months later, he was given a clean bill of mental health and out-processed as unable to salvage. And And what do you attribute that to? Um, I think that at the time it was kind of a just close your eyes and pretend it doesn't happen. You know, it was easier to out-process the soldiers than deal with the reality of what they were going through. I think they were just ill-equipped to handle it for women, let alone men. I think you make a very valid point. And one thing I did want to mention to our audience is that her husband was not a post-9-11 person where they are now much more aware of this. This was, Correct. you know, this earlier than that. Nineties. And early 90s. So there were not any of the uh, affirmations, recognition um, systems in place that are there now or starting to be there now. I think there's always room for improvement, but you said that very clearly, Lori, and so, then what happened? Um, I, I did to mention his assaulter was actually prosecuted, which is rare in the military farm. but um, he had also assaulted a couple of other soldiers, and they came forward, and so this person was prosecuted and sent to prison. So, his case was actually documented. But he was still out-processed, and his final standing order was, this didn't happen, don't ever talk about it. You know, that, that's the end of it. And he kind of tried to function over the next several years until I met him, and he was just having so many problems. And when he told me that, I explained to him that it was not a legal order, and he was entitled to help. Mm-hmm. And that's where our... That all kind of began. We filed for benefits and went through the largest array of obstacles, everything from he was never in the military to his records burned in a fire right. in Missouri, a fire which happened, by the way, before he was born. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> no. that was a good one for me. Uh, and, you know, all I could think of was if this would have just been him he would have quit immediately after the first denial. And that's what a lot of soldiers go through is they're already in that feeling of no value. And so when they hit an obstacle, it just kind of reaffirms that they don't have value and they give up and don't pursue the benefits. That's why it's so important for them to have advocates and resources. For me, it just motivated me to push harder Right, um right. we spent several years on this battle and um in two thousand six we had gotten another letter stating that while um he did suffer from post traumatic stress, that it was not from military service and um claim denied again. All right.
3: If, if, if everybody could hold that thought, we're just mm-hmm. going to take a very short break. It's time, and again, it's our Veteran Truck Updates this week was brought to you by First Class Merchant Services. First Class Merchant Services actually offers discounts for veteran-run businesses and nonprofit organizations nationwide. Give Josh a call at 407 four zero one zero seven seven two. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Linda and our guest Laurie. You're listening to the American Heroes Network powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back.
0: what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
2: Are you ready for another meeting? Do you leave wondering if you've made any progress? Or was it just another organizational reorganization? Are you looking for a way to change that and make progress? Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel every week for educational leadership. What else is possible? With hosts Mary Maduna and Margaret Ruff. If you're ready to energize your leadership and create new possibilities, join us for a chance to look through a different lens and gain a new perspective every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
5: On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time here on voiceamerica.com.
2: That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back. We're here with Lori. And uh, um, boys, these runarounds you were getting were uh, driving me up a wall when you kept talking about them. Uh, Linda, you had something as far as other issues?
4: Well, I think Lori has given us the background on what brought her to this place uh-huh. and maybe just... Continue your story of what you did and the progress you made and where you are today. Okay. Um, it was about 2006 and so we were about two and a half years into trying to get benefit And Peter was suffering from depression. He'd always have the, the PTSD, kind of the flashbacks and nightmares. But Things were starting to escalate, and I was worrying about him. You know, taking too many pills or other things. He just was very despondent and was starting to talk a lot more about. It would just be better if he wasn't wasn't around. And um, we had one night where he was pretty confrontational and. I didn't really kind of know what was going on, but we'd gotten in an argument out in our garage. And um, he locked the door and went in the house, and I was stuck in the garage. And um, I think I called my mom and was just expressing my frustration with the situation. And uh, when I hung up with her, I found that I was still really irritated, especially when I found the garage door locked. And so I went around into her backyard and uh, went in the back door, and he had gone in our bedroom and um, tried to open the door, and that door was locked, and I was getting ready to just lay down on the couch and say, whatever, we'll talk about it in the morning. And something, I don't know if it's just my personality or what, but I decided I I was not done arguing. (laughs) So I went back into the backyard and went to our bedroom window, and was yelling at him to open the door, and our kids were in bed. And um, he wasn't responding to me, and so I looked under the blind, and I could see his feet hanging about two feet off the ground. And I went into a full-on panic, and I pulled the screen out of the window and climbed through the window, and um, he was purple. Um, wow. And I was trying to get him down, and I couldn't quite reach him. He's uh, six feet tall. And I ran out into the dining room, and I grabbed a chair. I came back, and I climbed up, and he had used um, a D-ring, like you would use for repelling, kind of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a chain around his neck. And with his weight on it, I could not open, open the D-ring at all. And I was cutting my fingers, and I was frantic, and our oldest child at the time was only about eleven twelve, and there was no way I was calling her in to try to help me and so I remember I ran back out, grabbed my phone, I unlocked the front door, and I called nine one one and told them that my husband had hung himself, and um, they were on the line with me, and i couldn't i couldn't get him down, so I did the only thing I could think of to do and i kind of positioned myself between his legs and stood up so that I was bearing his weight on my shoulders. And I just braced my hands on my knees and held him there. And uh, they were asking me all kinds of questions. Was he breathing? And, you know, he was was purple. I, I have never seen anything like it in my life, and I hope to never see anything like it again. And um it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. And at this point, my daughter had woken up and was yelling, you know, Mom, what's going on? What's going on? And all I kept telling her was, do not come in here. Do not come in here. Because I didn't want her having a detention. Mm-hmm. And um finally, the the EMTs got there, and it took three police officers to get him down. Wow. And they started CPR immediately, and he was posturing, and I guess one direction is better than the other, where your hands and your feet are kind of flexing, and he was doing both. And, um, they rushed him to the emergency room, and I had to call to try to find someone to come stay with my kids.
2: You know, Mm -hmm. it was
4: 1 o'clock in the morning by this time, and, um... I finally got somebody to come over, and I got to the emergency room, and his blood pressure was so high, and he was not coherent. They were working on him, just trying to get him to breathe, and, uh, I mean, his blood pressure was over 200. I didn't know you could get blood pressure that high and still live, and they
1: uh,
4: moved him up to the intensive care unit, and... He didn't regain consciousness till the next day, and then he was like a child. He didn't know who I was. He couldn't hardly speak because he had damaged his vocal cords, and um, it was just devastating. Here I was, you know, he was, oh my gosh, like 33, 34 at the time. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of was, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell my children? And uh, we just kept on hoping, you know, that he would improve. And um, that's when you kind of learn some interesting things about the hospital system. We were in a civilian hospital, not a military hospital. And um, they sent a uh, court-ordered liaison to... Determine if he was a danger to himself or to others. And here's a man who doesn't even know who he is, can't remember who I am for more than a few minutes. I mean, finally, he was pointing at his ring finger like, okay, you're my wife, but still didn't really know anything. When my family got there, you know, he looked at them all, but didn't know who any of them were. In the meantime, I'm telling the children that their dad's at the hospital because he hurt his back because I don't want them having to deal with this. And uh, I remember I I called the Veterans Administration because we had just gotten the last denial letter and I told them that he was in the ICU for attempted suicide and I was really done with the paperwork and that something needed to be done or I was going to start prating my children in front of media until somebody would answer my phone calls and explain, you know, what was going on with his claim. And uh, Peter ended up taking himself out of the hospital against medical advice because they determined that he uh, was not a danger to himself because he couldn't even remember really (laughs) well. And uh, so he signed himself out of the intensive care unit before they could finish um, all his diagnostic. He had aspirated into his lungs Uh and um, he still suffers from short-term memory loss to this day. Um, We finally did get his disability and um, it's been still a continued long road. I would like to say that he has improved but the reality is he has not. He is agoraphobic at this point. The only way we get him out of the house is if he is medicated a lot, and uh, we have several people, and he has not been past our yard in over a year. My children live with a home where all the curtains are closed all the time. The alarm is set on the house. Most of the time, um, at night for sure, doors are always dead bolted. We had to put a gate on our yard with uh, a padlock on it because the sign saying, please don't knock and solicit, you know, we have a person who suffers from PTSD just did not get through and there were two of them and we still had people just knocking on the door randomly, which would put him into a full panic. I was at the store, and this happened. He would call me, and he would be down in our basement in tears. And it bothers him immensely. You know, he's like, "Karen was in the in the military, and I can't answer my own front door." So he suffers from a lot of issues with self worth. Mm-hmm. And Laura, um, talk finally- about how you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Eventually, I know that he was willing to accept some counseling, and in order to do that, you needed home-based, because he was agoraphobic. Maybe you can tell how you worked around getting that to happen. Um, When I started with... Uh, can we
3: save that? Excuse me, but can we just save that for right after the break? We're getting very close. Oh, I know absolutely. this is an important part of this, okay? We're just going to take a short break, and when we come back, we have Dr. Harry Croft joining us. But before uh, we get to the break, I've got some exciting news. The American Heroes Network actually strives each week to present our audience with stories of true American heroes and the individuals or organizations who assist them. We work diligently to provide fresh information and resources for our users and issues challenging our military and veteran families. I'm asked every week by our listeners, how can I help and how can I be more supportive? Here's your opportunity. Today, we are launching a premier founding members club called the Silent Heroes Club. This exclusive membership has been created to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement. And most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are already home and coming home that are facing many challenges. Members must have a compelling desire to assist and support the men and women and their families of our armed forces. Our goal mission and objective is to create awareness in communities across America and not only the invisible injuries such as PTSD and TBI but also awareness that every 65 minutes a veteran commits suicide this is your call to action go to the American heroes from your computer or any mobile device and become a founding member today as a member you'd be helping our American heroes and families heal thrive and successfully transition into civilian life so what are you waiting for this is an opportunity to be part of an elite group of supporters that stand behind our veterans and military families I'm Gary Ray along with our host co-host Linda Crater and our guest Laurie you're listening to the American Heroes Network voice, uh, on the Voice America a Variety Channel and we'll be right back Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein.
2: How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. at gmail.com now back to our program
3: welcome back and uh, we just came back we have another guest that uh, actually are in our conversation uh, linda why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about our new guest
4: well our, our new guest is actually a former guest dr harry croft who is a psychiatrist with extensive experience in treating ptsd the underlying origin of many, many different kinds of PTSD, including MST. And we're honored that Harry is joining us today. Before we go in there, Lori, I think it'd be good if you completed your story where you were, and then you and Harry can talk about some of the challenges and things that you've done and coped with and where you are today. Okay? Um, I was talking about how um, currently where we're at is that... You know, we live with uh, basically kind of a lockdown fortress in our home, Mm -hmm. and Peter feels pretty safe in that environment. Um, I have been able to, through a long journey, obtain home-based services where I have a therapist who comes to see him in the home once to twice a week, depending on how he's doing, and um, she's doing some great work with him. And we also have a family doctor who takes care of his medical needs here out of the home as well. So, you know, we still have a, a long way to go. We're still working on getting aid and attendance and uh, a whole new battle in itself. Had to uh, quit working as of a couple of years ago to care for him full-time, which... I love him, so I do, but it has been a huge financial adjustment on the family. Mm -hmm. You know, we have four children, so it is a a day-to-day thing. And um, now I'm trying to go to school, and uh, it's something I can do from home while I'm still caring for him and try to help improve our situation. Well, Lori, one of the things about MST is that people can't see it. It's another one of those invisible injuries. And I I think that one of the things that Peter wrote in a recent article, and he was also filmed in the Albuquerque Film Festival, the documentary was aired. um, He has come a long way. Um, He's come a long way in some ways um, Mm -hmm. in kind of accepting what has happened to him, but with the short-term memory loss, um, a lot of times he's right back like it just happened for him. Uh. And so um, as far as, you know, he used to leave the house and he has just kind of pulled in more and more. You know, one of our goals is to uh, find someplace out in the country where he would feel more secure going outside so that I can kind of expand his comfort zone. Currently we live next to the freeway and so just the noise from there and he feels like people are watching him. He suffers from a lot of paranoia and so I'm hoping to be able to uh, get us out on some acreage possibly where he can, um, like I said, expand his comfort zone and maybe get outside a little more. And Harry, you have dealt with PTSD, MST, I mean, all of the underlying reasons for PTSD. Can you give a little overview on this particular underlying effect and and hope?
1: Well, first of all, Laurie, I'm, I'm glad that you were there. Um, I fear that most people going through this kind of trauma don't have someone like you, uh, there to, as their friend, as their advocate, uh, as their helper, as their therapist. Uh, all those things are very important, and I'm glad you were there for Peter. Uh, in terms of, of sexual trauma, so PTSD is PTSD, whether it comes from, Um, combat, whether it comes from assault, whether it comes from uh, robbery, whether it comes from hurricane, fire, or flood. And the symptoms of PTSD we went over the last time I was on, but but let me repeat them, and they are re-experiencing, whether that re-experiencing is in the form of unwanted, uh, intrusive, kind of repetitive thoughts, uh, in terms of nightmares, in terms of nightmares when one is wide awake called flashbacks or, or response to anything that triggers those kind of thoughts. So re-experiencing is number one. Number two is avoidance and that is avoiding anything that brings up thoughts or memories of the trauma. Uh, the next is uh, negative thoughts and emotions that weren't there before, withdrawal, isolation, detachment, not wanting to be around others. Uh, and then the final is the, the arousal symptoms that all of us generally think of with PTSD, including not being able to sleep even in the absence of nightmares, being easily startled, being hypervigilant and, and maybe suspicious and even paranoid and being angry and irritable. So those are the symptoms of PTSD. Uh, there are some others that are not called core symptoms but that are there as well. And then there are often associated uh, problems, things like depression and other anxiety problems, including social phobia or withdrawal, uh, as well as substance abuse. So that's just the core and the coexisting conditions that come with PTSD. With sexual trauma, uh, for both men and women, it's it can be extremely problematic. But I want to focus for a moment on men. For men, it's especially traumatic. Uh, because of the shame and the guilt that goes along with it often then in this case for poor peter it was all compounded by the actions that occurred after the assault and that led and uh, uh that added a layer of shame guilt depression anger frustration that that uh, just worsened everything that, that we call PTSD. Uh, and then the frustration uh, of not being able to resolve things, having to keep quiet about something that wasn't his fault, not getting the help that he really deserved, not it, getting even the response from people responsible that he deserved and all that uh, tragically in this case led to to Peter's uh, suicide attempt and thank goodness Laurie was there to help and now now because of of the the biological processes that occurred as a result of the suicide attempt there's now some brain function changes the, the lack of memory, the lack of concentration, uh, that, that, that worsen not only the symptoms, but interfere with treatment as well. And mm-hmm. so all those things are complications. I, I, I think the lesson from all this is that we need to take sexual trauma seriously, uh, whether it's in the military or outside the military whether it's uh, in women or men but especially in men in the military sexual trauma can have as devastating an effect as being involved in combat so i think the the real message is we need to take this kind of trauma seriously and we need to respond appropriately. And unfortunately, in Peter's case, uh, until recently, the response was not appropriate. It was such that it just made everything worse. So, uh, Laurie, uh, in in now, um, mm-hmm. what, what do you see as uh, the future? Uh, how does it look to you? And how are you holding together by the way?
4: Um it's it's hard. Um I have to admit that you know there are a lot of days that I don't see a lot of hope for improvement because as you I mean everything you listed off is pretty much our life. That is the big fruit salad of issues that that we live with and um
1: And, Laurie, what, where is your support group? I'm sorry? Where is your support group, or do you have any?
4: You know, I, um, I try to get on veteran caregiver, but I honestly have not had a lot of time um, yeah. with the kids. And with him, yeah. it's very hard. And a lot of times when I'm online, and Linda and I had talked about this a lot in the past, you know, he gets that paranoia. What are you doing? Who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. I was afraid that I'm, that I'm going to commit him to a hospital because there's been more than that suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. I've, always, I've actually had to hospitalize him, I think, three times for attempted suicide, and mm-hmm. that's not counting the the numerous nights that I've stayed up all night just praying that, you know, the amount of pills he took aren't enough to kill him.
1: And, and Linda and, and Gary, for, for the listening audience, I think the message is that caregivers need support and help as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, caregivers, uh, the person with PTSD, with depression, uh, has all kinds of stresses facing them day to day, but the caregiver is often lost in the shuffle and doesn't get any support and care,
3: and right. they
1: wear out. Uh, they're the battery that keeps life running, and when their battery begins to to run low, uh, they can't be of of as much help. And what happens then frequently is they just hunker down harder to to work more not realizing that the battery is is going and, Harry, and you were are so
4: right. And and that's where Lori and I connected on this. I know we're ready for another break. So hold that thought.
3: We're going to skip the break. Oh, we are going to skip it. Okay, mm, perfect.
4: Yes. Okay. Um one of the things that you mentioned, Harry, is that the caregiver needs the support. I agree obviously wholeheartedly. One positive thing that occurred is that Lori and Peter became more conversant with the MST and what was happening. Mm-hmm. And Lori, tell the story of um, the article and then the filming and, and the steps that have progressed somewhat so that you do still live with huge stressors, but there is now some more um, desire to share this so that others will not be victimized. Correct. Um, Peter did an article for um, that journal and kind of told his story and explained what happened to him, and he kind of wrote it as a letter trying to reach out to other veterans who might be in the same place that he is and let them know that, you know, it's day by day, but you don't have to be alone. There's resources available, and he also um, agreed to be filmed for a documentary. He actually did two. Um, One of them I'm not sure. I haven't heard if it's come to conclusion yet. But um, And he's happy to do this, but at the same time it goes hand-in-hand for him with this extreme shame where Mm -hmm. he says, you know, he doesn't want to be the poster child for MST, but he feels like if he can help even one person... To get the help and not feel that despair and need to end their life that, you know, that's what he needs to do. But then, you know, we have the cycle with the short-term memory loss where he'll he'll do it and then he'll be like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. Please stop it. Please stop it. Yeah. And then it'll cycle back around. And he's like, No, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then it's, No, 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 no. People are going to be knocking on our door. They're going to be harassing our children. You know, they're going to be saying, Oh, your your dad, you know, he deserved it. He didn't stop it, you know. And yeah. he has all these fears and emotion. Yeah. And the kids and I, we actually sat the kids down when he did the documentary. because you know, They didn't know about the suicide attempt. They didn't know about a lot of things. But now our kids are ages, you know, 12 to 19. And the oldest knew because she had woke up that night but, um, you know, it's hard because you you deal with, like, our oldest had him when he was able to go and do things with her. Mm-hmm. And then she lost that. But the other kids never had it. So I, I sit there and I wonder, which is worse, having it and losing it or never having it at all? And he interacts with them great here in the home where he feels safe. Like I said, that's why we're hoping to broaden his comfort zone so that they can, you know, do some things outside with their dad. But, you know, our youngest kids, they've never had dad at any of their sporting events or, you know, school functions. And they just accept that that's how it is. But, you know, it's not the life I would have chosen for my children. But at the same time, they were great and they supported him and they said, you know, dad, even if even if that happened, and even if people came up and said things to us. We love you, and it's
1: important that you help other people. Good, and, and, and that will enable him to have some good feelings about himself. The fact that, you know, although all these terrible things happen, at least I might be able to use my experience to help other other folks, and and that's positive, I, I, you know. Fortunately, it sounds like your children are very resilient, and uh, uh, thank are. goodness for them that they are. It, you know, in my uh, as Linda knows, I've probably evaluated some seven thousand veterans now for PTSD, and. Uh, I Probably in that number, I've evaluated uh, male, males, maybe 10 for sexual trauma. And it, it is so tough. I, I want everybody to understand. I, I mean, female uh, sexual trauma is just as difficult. I, I'm not uh, diminishing the problems at all, but for males... Uh, the whole issue of being gay uh is is a big problem for many and and what they say from this is I must be gay or everybody will think I'm gay
4: and, and everybody I'm with. sorry. Yes, that's exactly what he deals
1: with. Yeah, and and that That is so common, and what that does is brings about a whole nother layer of emotional distress to this kind of tragic behavior to the point that many men will refuse to even report it because mm-hmm. they they don't want anybody to know and in Peter's case, I read that that one of his big concerns after the event happened was that everybody would know. All the, all the, the soldiers around him would know, uh, and everybody would, in their minds, be looking at him. The reason I, I say all this is I want everybody listening out there to understand this is not a little thing. It can be a very big thing. And then when it's compounded, by all of the problems that Peter had, uh, it can be it can uh, morph into something even bigger, even larger, even more problematic and so I, I think uh, one of the messages I want to hear though I want those listening to hear is that the best thing you can do if you're a victim uh, is to to go talk to somebody, get help immediately and and as in Peter's case i think things have changed since since peter went through this i hope and pray things have changed but but uh, get an advocate as soon as you can if this has happened to you somebody that you can trust maybe a chaplain maybe a lawyer maybe a JAG officer uh, maybe a support group somebody that you can trust to help you out because as you see from Laurie's discussion of Peter uh, what happens after the event can be just as traumatic and just as difficult and the roads to navigate can be just as problematic as the original problem itself Uh, I hope for Peter's sake that he continues to get help Uh, I I encourage, Laurie, uh, that the therapist and the psychiatrist or the primary care doctor thinks out of the box, in this case, to try to offer things rather than just the usual standard treatments, because I suspect, in this case, that's what will be necessary. Yes, we're
4: pretty limited. He actually... Refuses to take most medications because he had such adverse reaction to several yeah. that the only thing I can get him to take is you know Xanax or a Valium if I have to take him out of the house.
1: Yeah, or I'm not sure. I'm, agitated, not sure. I'm not sure that medic that medication I- is the whole answer. I think therapy no. and maybe even alternative type therapies, things like. Uh, animal therapy, things like uh, uh, stuff behavioral stuff that's that's not the usual standard fare might be necessary. And the fact that you've found therapists that will come to the house is very advantageous in terms of most folks with social phobia. Uh, there is a need for medication, but there's also a need not only for therapy, but therapists that can help the person behaviorally uh, get out of the safety comfort zone in, into the real world. And, and so uh, I, I would encourage you and those taking care of Peter to think outside of the box to, to therapies, Look, you try them out. If they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. The the complicating factor is is, uh, the brain dysfunction, uh, probably from the lack of oxygen for a while, that that causes the memory difficulty. And so each day can be a new day instead of the following day. Uh, But you work around those things to hopefully make things better.
3: Right. Well, we only have about a minute or two left. And, Lori, I want to thank you for sharing your story. In our eyes, our caregivers are an elite group of true American heroes. I want to thank Dr. Croft and Lori for being with us today. Lori, would you like to share anything to our, for our listeners uh, in closing?
4: Just that, you know, if you have uh, a friend or a loved one who suffers from PTSD or MST do everything you can to be supportive of them and not judgmental. Understand that, you know, it's easy for us to say what well, happened a long time ago. You know, you've got to let it go. But the reality is is that, you know, some people just can't. And understanding and support is what they need the most.
3: That's true. That's true. Dr. Croft, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing?
1: Just, Just that... If, if something like this happens, report it, get a support group, get the therapy you need. The earlier, the better, because the longer it goes untreated, uh, the more layers of, of complicating factors are placed on top of it, and the more difficult it becomes to treat. That's
3: right. Linda?
4: I think I just want to thank Lori. I've known Lori now for, as she said, three years. And I think I've never met someone more resilient, more hopeful. Her faith foundation holds her up, and it keeps them going. The children are remarkable, but I think this is a story that needed to be shared to make certain that people understand that the family is greatly affected by what happens to the veteran, and that services are not easy to obtain, and some things are still in denial. So by hearing these stories... I'm hoping that help is more easily obtained. And thank you again, Lori. I know that was not easy today, but we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
3: And thank you. Be sure to tune in next week for another live update with the Veterans Trek uh, on a 2,700-mile walk for PTSD and veteran suicide awareness. Live updates brought to you by First Class Merchant Services for sponsorship info email us at info at com. I'm Gary Ray, along with our my co-host, Linda Crater, signing off, and thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and have a terrific week.
2: Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are
1: America and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a to be.